it is Monday, March 4th, the first Monday of autumn. Yes, autumn. And not helping that grief for summer is the fact it's been a dreary start to the new season. And Met Service is kicking off the week with warnings of heavy rain and strong winds for many areas. Now, there may even be incredibly snow in March in Fiordland and the Otago Ranges today. Pretty gloomy news, but... Things will improve by Wednesday, just in time for Newsable's first birthday. How about that? Make sure you keep listening to find out how you can win in our special birthday competition. Anyway, kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Jess, and this is what's worth talking about. The lipstick effect. No, it's not a secret beauty hack, but an indicator about the health of our economy. The head of retail New Zealand is here to explain all. They may have bested us in the cricket yesterday, but back in Australia, Parliament is in a frenzy after it was revealed a former politician had their head turned by foreign spies. Now, you don't get that over here, at least as far as we know. Anyway, former Blackfern honey Hidemi Smiler is in to talk us through the opening round of Super Rugby Orpiki and what do Netflix binges and nighttime trips to the bathroom have in common? Well, quite a lot, as it turns out. All that coming up here in a moment on Usable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Now, have you heard of the lipstick effect? No, I'm not about to launch into a makeup tutorial. No one needs that. The lipstick effect is in fact an economic theory that suggests people struggling with the cost of living are more likely to buy fancy lipsticks and other smaller luxury goods during an economic downturn because it makes them feel good in tough times. Across the ditch, the head of the Retail Association says the rise in lipstick sales says a lot about how their economy is going. But what about Aotearoa? Well, we wanted to check in on how things are going for the retail sector not just in sales of makeup, and here to fill us in is the head of retail New Zealand, Carolyn Young. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on. So, Carolyn, is the same thing happening here? Are people scaling down what they're buying when they go out to the shops? Absolutely. We're still seeing quite a few people through the stores. Really hard to get people to buy something, though. And, and what retailers are telling us is that when they do go to buy something, they're paying significantly less. So, if you're in a fashion store where someone might have spent two or three hundred dollars on an outfit, they're now buying a necklace or a, some earrings, something small. But as you say, with that lipstick effect, something that would make you feel good about yourself but is in in the affordable space of where we're at now with the cost of living crisis. And I can imagine those smaller purchases don't add up anywhere near to the same big purchases if you're that business. No, that's right. That's sort of 15 to 20% of the cost of what people were paying previously. So much smaller um, and much much harder for retailers. And you mentioned before, Caroline, that the, the shops are not empty, but the people aren't buying as much. So what does that look like from a consumer behaviour point of view? Are people just using that as entertainment maybe to, to go into a browse? Yeah, absolutely. People often want to go into the shops for the experience and they want to go and see, especially as seasons start changing, you've got new product in stores and people want to go and see what's available. And everyone's hopeful that the economy might turn around. You know, consumers are thinking, I might have a little bit more money in my wallet, I might be able to come and afford it later, but I'm coming to have a look and see what's in the stores. And, you know, if you're feeling that you don't have much money, you can't go out and do something expensive, you know, being able to go out with your mates, um, have a look through the shops and grab a coffee, it can still be an enjoyable afternoon as opposed to sitting at home and reading a book, you know. And you mentioned there when, when the economy hopefully turns around, how quick does that 
flow through to the retail sector? Does it, when interest rates drop? Well, there's a lag factor. You're absolutely right there. And, and the, the challenge at the moment is the Reserve Bank said last week, you know, highly likely that we're going to get through to the end of this year without seeing a cut in the official cash rate. And that's kind of the first key indicator that we want to see is a cut in that official cash rate and then other interest rates will follow from there. But of course, people have already fixed their mortgages for a certain period of time. So it's going to be when the next wave of mortgage holders actually go to refix that that's when things will start changing. I think I last spoke to you before Christmas and it was a lot of talk of kind of that being a make or break season. Yeah. Are we are we still in make or break territory? The recent sales data that came out has, has indicated that there's been eight quarters in a row of declines in retail sales, so two years. This quarter is going to be really interesting. So in the first quarter in 2023, we had the big impact of the cyclones. So wouldn't be surprised to see an uplift in sales compared to 2023, but we have to remember that was a really low level. I think we're still looking at a really tough quarter. Just this weekend, there was an announcement that the jewellers Silver Moon are going into liquidation. So Torpedo 7 sold for a dollar um, uh, 10 days ago. You know, these are big businesses that are um, having that are struggling through the current economic climate, and there's lots of small businesses we're hearing. We've got an advice line here at Retail NZ, and it's free for our members and and you know by far and away the most number of calls we're getting at the moment and emails are around restructures and redundancies. So certainly we're hearing that there's impacts that are being felt right at the ground floor. So you know tough environment. Do you have the capacity to lobby the government for any kind of relief or anything like that? What other levers can you guys pull? So we are lobbying the government around a, a, a wide range of things. So crime is at the top of our list and retail crime is still the largest issue for all retailers. So trying to get a stop on that. You know, if you're stopping shrinkage of stock going out for no cost, then obviously that's going to help the bottom line. But there's also other things around some complex employment legislation that's really hard to navigate. Getting staff, it's really still difficult to get staff to work in retail. So there's a capacity gap in New Zealand and there's lots of independent issues that we're talking to ministers about as well. Carolyn Young there, Head of Retail New Zealand. Thank you so much for your time. Kia ora, thank you. Now, I know Emma reminded you all last week, but I wanted a chance to celebrate too because it is Newsable's birthday on Wednesday. We are turning one. I know. Look, we can eat solids now. We can say mama and dada. We can even take a few steps if someone's holding our hand. And so to celebrate, we're giving you the presents. We have four pairs of earbuds to give away. There's a couple of things you're going to have to do to get in the draw. First things first, you're going to need to listen to our birthday episode on Wednesday. Then you need to head over to the Stuff Instagram page where we'll be asking you something about that day's episode that we will have talked about on the pod submit your answer and you're in the draw and for a little extra entry you can email us a voice note telling us your favourite thing about Usable. So there's a lot of info to digest but basically make sure you listen on Wednesday's episode, make sure you go to the Stuff Instagram page and make sure you vote and then you need to also email us your voice note if you want that extra entry and those voice notes go to newsable at stuff.co.nz in Australia's halls of power, a giant game of guess who is afoot. Tongues have been wagging since the country's spy boss, Mike Burgess, made a bombshell revelation that a former politician was recruited by foreign spies. The details are murky and the MP's identity is a secret, at least for now, but the backlash has been fierce for this so-called traitor. Now, to give us the inside word is the ABC's federal politics reporter, Matthew Doran, who joins us now from Canberra. 
Hello, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, Matthew, how did the story see the light of day? So this came out when Mike Burgess, who is the Director General of ASIO, the Domestic Spy Agency, delivered his yearly threat assessment speech. So he stands up, he addresses the media, and he talks about the uh, things that they're seeing uh, as a threat to Australia's national security. In the past, it's been uh, talking about things like the uh, potential for a terrorist attack. What he dropped on Wednesday night, though, was really fascinating because he was talking about the growing threat of foreign interference on Australia's uh, national security. And he picked out uh, this example. This is a man who knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows the power of his words and he carefully crafts the nuggets that he drops to the waiting media. And he said that there had been a group of foreign spies, they were called the A-Team because they're targeting Australians. And he said that they cultivated a relationship with a former politician and that that former politician at one stage was even considering introducing a member of a prime minister's family to this group. Now, he hasn't named this individual. He hasn't given any indication as to their political affiliation, their gender, or whether or not they're actually a former member of federal parliament. He's, he's left the door open there. It could well be a state politician uh, around the country as well. Uh, but the fact that he's thrown this out there and said that uh, this individual won't be, quote, stupid enough to do this again now that they've been uh, confronted by uh, ASIO operatives that he believes for at least with regards to this case in particular, that the, the case is somewhat closed. Well, this decision not to name them, though, surely that, that casts speculation over almost every Australian politician of the last kind of 10 years or so. How long has this person got before their name is out there? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Uh, this is really setting tongues wagging here in Canberra, and it's prompted a pretty angry reaction from some politicians, particularly the former treasurer and former ambassador to the United States, Joe Hockey. He said that this effectively casts a, a shadow of suspicion over every former politician, and he wants this person to be identified so that he can rest assured he wasn't sitting around the cabinet table with them and that the public can know who they were. Now, we've got a couple of nuggets that have been able to help us maybe narrow down the field, and, and it's still a pretty wide field. Let's be honest about that. Mike Burgess has said in an interview with SBS World News that uh, this is an individual, when this incident occurred, they were in Parliament at the time, so they are now a former politician, but they were in Parliament at the time that they were approached by these foreign spies. He's also uh, said that this incident happened before there was an overhaul of Australia's foreign interference legislation that passed Parliament in 2018, uh, which has led a lot of people to say, OK, maybe that's why this person hasn't been been charged. It might have fallen outside the scope of, of the, the powers uh, back then. One of the nuggets that I read was that Malcolm Turnbull's son's come out and said that he was approached by some foreign agents at one point. Does that kind of narrow it down? When Alex Turnbull spoke, that caught everyone's attention. He said that he was approached by some foreign operatives and he was surprised at how brazen they were in their approach approaches to him. And he said that he reported it to intelligence uh, officials at the time. This interview, again, that, that Mike Burgess has, has done with SBS World News, he's revealed that, uh, no, it is not Alex Turnbull who was the target here. And you mentioned before about these new foreign interference laws. Is there a suggestion that these may have been prompted by this example? This was, uh, I think, more broad than that. However, it does, I guess, go to the, the issue that Mike Burgess has pointed out here in his speech, that foreign interference is a threat to Australia's national security. And up until 2018, our laws really weren't 
up to scratch. A lot of discussion at the time was whether or not this is aimed squarely at China. Uh, however, the, the, the government at the time and, and to this day continues to say that, that not one country is being singled out by this. ABC's federal politics reporter, Matthew Doran, thank you so much for joining us. And if you get a name, please do come back and let us know who it is because it's very intriguing indeed. I think, uh, I think that might be wishful thinking on all of our behalf, but I'd be happy to come back. Now, the aftershocks of the plan to axe News Hub in as many as 300 jobs are still being felt. Former TV3 reporter, now turned stuff investigative journalist Paula Penfold, was especially interested in one staff member's reaction. She asked her ex-husband, six o'clock newsreader Mike McRoberts, for an interview on camera. It's unsurprisingly a fascinating watch and you can see the full 20-minute chat on stuff.co.nz. For now, though, here's a taster. Has enough been done? Has there been enough innovation? That's what the Prime Minister said needs to be done, more innovation. Has there been enough strategy? Hmm. I don't have a problem with with our management. Um, it's not like it was a few years ago when, you know, when we could see that we we're being led in the wrong way. This time it's it's very much the circumstances with which we find ourselves in. But those are circumstances that could have been addressed by government years ago, you know, and I'm talking obviously about, you know, Facebook and, and Google um, paying for our stories that they, that they link to, um, you know, and, and some of these streaming companies, you know, putting money into local production. All of those things could have been addressed years ago and it would have been a much different picture now, I believe. So, you know, if you're angry about this, it's, it's, I don't think it's the media bosses in New Zealand that you need to be angry about. I think it's, you know, go and turn off Google <laughs> and delete, delete your Facebook account. <laughs> hmm. Super rugby Orpiki and superstar player Ruby Tui are back. Tui has made her debut for Chiefs Manawa in the opening match of the season, scoring one of seven tries. That's right, seven tries as they bet the Hurricanes poor. 46-24 in Hamilton and in a seesaw encounter in Invercargill. Not a place that sees a lot of super rugby, but a late surge gave the improved Blues a 24-17 win over the South Island's reigning champions, Matatu. Now, for expert analysis on all that and more, we're joined by former rugby union and league player, now turned Sky commentator, Honey Hitami Smiler for Newsable Sport, proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. Kia ora, Honey. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Look- now, just before we get into the nitty gritty of this, how good is it to have some Super Rugby or picky back? Yeah, oh, it's so good, eh? And, and especially having the extended competition this year. And um, I'll tell you what, I was super impressed with the way um, that you know, first round rugby, you always think there's a bit of jitters, a bit of rusty, but flip the way those teams came out and played, I was really surprised at uh, how well conditioned the players were. To keep up with the intensity of the games. Let's talk Ruby Tui. She's probably one of the most recognisable players in women's rugby. She took some time out last year for the Sevens, but she's back for 2024. How did she go in the weekend? Oh, she was awesome. Yeah, it's so good to have Rubes back in the game, obviously. Huge public profile, draws so much attention to women's rugby here and specifically being back in the Chiefs Manawa, who I might be biasly supporting uh, with my non-commentator hat on. Really, you... you 
felt like she'd never gone anywhere. Like she just hit her strap straight away. Um, she was physically imposing herself out there on the field every time she touched the ball. And she just brings that energy and that intensity to, to a team. And, and that's what you've got to, I suppose, be attracted to when it comes to football. So, honey, this is the third season for Super Rugby Orpiki. Are you seeing it get stronger every year as a competition? Yes, yeah, significantly. Um, you're seeing the black ferns really rise uh, when the pressure comes on. But also, you know, new players coming into the game, they're starting to make a name for themselves. Alan Bunting has made everybody aware that there's 13 Black Ferns contracts available this year and everybody is playing for those. Everybody is putting their hands up. It's amazing. So the season length for Super Rugby Opiki is longer this year. We've gone from four weeks to eight weeks, but we've still got kind of a real mix of, we've got professional sevens players, we've got uh, Black Ferns, but we've also got people who are also juggling careers and family life alongside their playing commitments. So I kind of ask you, how, how sustainable is that for the competition? Right now it is sustainable and, and there's obviously huge room for growth in that, um, but I can see the growth that has happened in this in this past three years, in fact four years, because the first year was the was the one off, I suppose, exhibition match to get this kicked off between the Chiefs and Blues. And it's come leaps and bounds, um, both on the field and off the field. So yeah, you know, you've got to do your time. I thought the crowds could have come out a little bit more, but look, you know, we, we keep promoting the product. The, the women keep playing the way they do, and the, and it's a really attractive style of footy. And so I think the crowds will start coming along a lot more. But look, there's plenty of eyes on it, you know, through the Sky Sport coverage, and, and that's really key as well. How do you think we, we take the competition to the next level? At some point, no doubt, I'd say we are going to join with the Super W competition in Australia. You're already seeing internationals be involved in the game. Obviously, Chiefs Manoa, they had a Japanese international. They've also got a Fijian international. So you're going to see international players being attracted. You've seen our New Zealand players already go over to the Super W as well. So it's really putting more eyes on the game. And I suppose, you know, making it a global game and the, and the global competition that people want to come and play in. How early then do we join that Super W competition that you talked about? Do we need to let the game become stronger here first? Or do we just go now for, to get that big international profile that we'd get if we uh, join the Aussie League? I think it happens next year. Like, there's no no need to wait for it. And then that's that's where you get the expansion again. You add more teams. Um, you know, they've got the Drua team in there and they're quite dominant in that Super W competition you've got so many of our Kiwi girls heading over there to play so you don't really have to wait on it I think it's there and ready to happen it obviously didn't happen this year but I think it's you know logical next step come next year Oh, what a fascinating chat. Thanks, honey. Uh, that's honey Hidemi Smiler, Sky commentator and commentator today for News of All Sport, proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled at. You can watch every match from round two of Sky Super Rugby Orpiki live on Sky Sports and streaming on Sky Sports Now. And Sky Open will also have a live free-to-air coverage of the Blues versus the Chiefs Manawa match from 2pm on Saturday this coming weekend. Thanks, honey. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. Thanks, Sam. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires. Go the Black Caps. And don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? Yeah, what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates soccer? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? 
Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. We have a new entry in the category that I've just made up. It's called Things You Didn't Realise Were Related But Science Says They Are. Now, today's entry is new research says people who spend hours in front of the TV during the evening are more likely to have to get up in the night for a wee or two or even three. The study, published in the Journal of Neurology and Eurodynamics, not one I've read too much about before, found that adults who spent five or more hours a day watching TV or videos, say YouTube, were more likely to develop nocturia or the need to urinate two or more times during the night. The researchers noted that the study can't prove that considerable TV time is a direct cause of multiple nightly wees, instead calling it an association. However, they suggested that those who engage in this pretty significant level of screen time might require better behavioural interventions from healthcare professionals to help them reduce those hours spent in front of a screen. Something maybe to consider before your next Netflix binge then. Maybe that's the real reason they're called streaming platforms. Uh, thanks to producer Chris for that great joke. That is usable for today. If you enjoyed what you heard, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It'll help other people find us. I'm Jessica McCarthy. Kakite. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.